wrote to a friend of mine who lives in London who is the one who presented my name to you for me to come. And I wrote him back saying that I feel like I'm learning through a fire hose all this information of history and culture. And I was thinking about how islands are places where ultimately everybody's come from someplace else. It's just a question of when you came or when your family came. And you know that I have been studying my family roots, and I found a story that is a story, a myth, how much truth is in it, I don't know, about the beginning of our clan. At the end of a battle between two clans, there was one infant that was left because they had killed all the other children. That's how brutal the clan warfare was back then. So the clan decided to adopt this infant and they gave him a name because it's so old, it was the PH, you know, Farland, and then the MAC got added and the PH got changed. Because they wanted that child to know that he had no roots, that he wasn't from around here, that he was an outcast. And that's the beginning of a clan. At least that's the story. We have a lot of people in today's world that are leaving where they were born, leaving where they were comfortable, their language, their food, their culture, all the things, and they're moving to someplace else because they hope they can find the promised land. Here on Great Britain, you have Brexit, you have Scottish independence, you have other questions that people have about the future, and a lot of them have to do with identity. Which I think is interesting because in English literature, there is a whole theme that we refer to it as orphan literature. You look at Dickens, Peter Pan, even the modern-day Harry Potter. And the reason that resonates is that young people, we all go through that phase where we wonder, who are we going to be? Where, where are we going to end up? Even if we have loving, supportive families and parents, Young people, as they get ready to transition away from home, go through what sometimes is described as an orphan phase. Even though their parents are loving and devoted, they still feel like, oh man, it's a prison, i got to get out of here. And see, all of this is amplified because we live in a culture where the technology creates all of these distractions, all of these options. Part of what it does is it tends to suck up all of our mental space. You can scroll, you can surf, you can do all of this, and you see all this world that is out there. You can chase what I call chase a rabbit. You can go and go and go. There's always more to see. Depending upon your 
background, you may type in a hymn that you're going to see in, on YouTube, but what's going to be there in your feed? Maybe one or two other hymns, but then it's going to be things from other things that you have looked at on YouTube. Because it kind of knows you. See, this technology is in a secular culture, and the secular culture is a culture that just ignores God, leaves him out. See, when I was growing up, we, people used to think of themselves as agnostics or atheists. They struggled with whether God was there or whether there was a God, all of these questions. But see, all those God questions are gone in a secular culture. It flattens all beliefs and worldviews, which makes it hard for the Christian option that is based upon divine revelation. One writer has said we need to have a disruptive witness. A disruptive witness invites a hearer to intentionally contemplate the gospel as truth grounded in a transcendent God. See, we have to believe that God can communicate, that God can speak, and when we come to the book of Numbers, you see again and again, God said, God said, God said, where he's laying out what it's going to mean to live in a covenant community. Much, we believe, of the book of Numbers is probably set in the second year after they had left Egypt, after they had crossed the Red Sea. They hadn't wandered around much. But God had given them ways to live together as a covenant community. And then you come here in chapter 6, beginning to read at verse 22, the Lord spoke to Moses. See, we have to remember, this is something that, that the Lord is initiating. Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, thus, shall, thus you shall bless the people of Israel, you shall say to them. What is being commanded of Aaron and his sons at this point is that they're going to be blessed. Now, I refer to this as the adoption benediction. Because it's something that uses covenant language and it is something that seals our reconciliation with God. God is reaching out to these former slaves, these people that for 400 years had been in slavery, away from their land, with their own language, with their own food with her own communities, always feeling the pressure of being outsiders from the host nation of Egypt. And God says, I want to bless them. See, part of what being blessed is, John Calvin mused on this a long time ago, he says it's profitable that believers may confidently assure themselves that God is reconciled to them when he ordains the priests to be witnesses and heralds of his paternal favor towards them. 
The peace that is proclaimed is a peace that was purchased by Jesus Christ. Now, most of us do not know what it's like to be a slave. I saw a Facebook post from some friends that are just a little bit older than I. But it was of a woman who was a missionary who was taken captive and held and held and held. And finally she was freed. She was a woman who went to take care of people. And then in that horrible experience that she had, she was taken care of by God, who used scripture memory and who used all the things that had prepared her for that moment to help her survive. Because she knew that she was a child of God. The reason, again, that I call this the adoption benediction of Aaron, look at verse 27. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel. He's having this ceremony. And notice what's different. It's a ceremony of words. It's a ceremony of words from the living God because he wants to communicate to his people. Now, it's it's what we think of as a threefold benediction. Aaron has already given a benediction after sacrifices in Leviticus 9. But here, Aaron and his sons are told to say, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. See, it is the Lord, the covenant-keeping God, L-O-R-D in caps. The one who was there at the burning bush. The one who was there at creation. And what you have is the first line, Lord bless you and keep you, and the second two lines expand that. So the second part of verse 2 and 3 is parallel to bless, the the last parts of 2 and 3 is parallel to keep you. So when he says the Lord bless you, how how does he demonstrate that blessing? The Lord make his face shine upon you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you. You see, what's happening here is that God is assuring them that they are reconciled, that what was lost from the creation from days four, five, and six, where God talks about blessing, has now been restored. And he does it in the most intimate way in terms of the Lord bless you, is that you would know that you are in the presence of the true and the living God. To make his face shine upon you, to lift up his countenance upon you. When you think about being blessed by God, that presence, that face, that countenance should come to you quickly. 
That's why Jesus, when he tells them where two or three are gathered together, I'm going to be with you. It's that special way. But yet when he says, the Lord bless you and keep you, it kind of has that Genesis 15 ring, fear not for I am your shield, your very great reward. But the way he wants us to know that we are kept in this passage is that and be gracious to you and give you peace. Those twin ideas of grace and peace. That God is a gracious God. And all of that encumbers in terms of a forgiving God, a merciful God. A God who will pay the price of our sins through his son, ultimately. Part of what we read in Ephesians. And the assurance of pardon. And give you peace. Shalom. That idea that is so rich in the Old Testament, is so rich in Scripture, that God wants to give us peace, that that is part of the sealing of reconciliation, is that we are at peace with God. When I think of the anxiety, the loneliness, that we hear about in the world, that we talk about in our families. And we look at this passage, this blessing, that God wants to give you peace. For some of us, sometimes that would be something that would be hard to hear and learn because we are so used to living without peace. We're so used to living with anger and anxiety and aloneness that we wonder, can God really give me peace? In a world that just seems to be so dysfunctional. Remember, he's talking to slaves or ex-slaves. When I was in the military and was going to be preaching on a couple of passages, I actually went and read CIA reports about modern slavery. It's amazing what you can find in the CIA's public files. One of the things that they recognized was that it takes slaves, people who have been bought and sold and owned by other people, it takes them time to learn how to be free. One of the things there are a number of missionaries in Europe working on and working with, as well as in the United States and other places, is human trafficking. And they recognize that it's not just enough to get somebody free from the pimp, from the owner, get them out of the lifestyle, they have to offer them something new. They need to help them learn to trust other people. That everybody's not trying to use them so that they can have peace. And the presence of God can give them that, but yet it's going to take the slaves a long time to believe that God can give them peace. Remember when they sent the spies in to find out what's going on and they come back with this report about 
all this big fruit and all these good things, but they're giants in the land, they're giants. And they don't believe that God can take care of the giants in the land and give them peace. And so God says, okay, you're going to wander for a while. I've got to teach a new generation. Imagine being that generation that left Egypt that only a very select few crossed the Jordan because they didn't believe this promise that God was going to be gracious to them, that God was going to give them peace, that he would restore his face, that intimacy. See, so often I think we put Christianity into our consumer culture and we're looking for stuff rather than looking for God himself. And sometimes that is a hard conversation to have with people. Do you see yourself as living with God each day? Of living with that grace and that peace. Knowing that God is restoring what was lost through the fall. Remember the big arc of the story of the Bible of creation with the blessing, the loss of that blessing with the fall, the restoration of that blessing, the beginning of that with the exodus. One of the things that I I want you to pay attention to is the changes in some of the words in verse 23, thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You get to verse 27, so shall I put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. See, what he wants is he wants people to realize that he's sending Aaron and Aaron's sons, he's sending intermediary, he's sending priests, But yet he is still the one ultimately who's going to bless us. And that's why, you know, it's a ceremony of words. There's no blood, there's no tent, there's no tabernacle. It's words. What has God demonstrated his power with before with words? In creation. He breathes out creation. Part of that is breathing out the blessing of creation. And now, he wants to use words for us to know that we are blessed. Now, I'm going to put a thought in your mind that will be a whole other sermon, possibly sermon series. But when you think of this, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you. That threefold benediction. What does Jesus do? He sends his disciples out to make disciples to bless or baptize them in the name of of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That reconciliation, that word of the name with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that threefold benediction that is there when someone is baptized. When I would pick up, you know, put my hand in in the, the bowl and get the water wet to put on a child's head or an adult's head, 
And I would say, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We're putting the name of the triune God on that person who has publicly professed their faith in Jesus Christ as he pours out his Holy Spirit. A benediction is like that father's robe that goes around the returning son so that he is wrapped in his father's love and people know that this is a child who is not alienated but is reconciled and blessed. A benediction that you leave with each week reminds you that you are sealed in your reconciliation with your God because of Christ. Most people know how the Bible begins. In the beginning, God created, right? But the last verses, words, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. The last words are about grace. So each week when I pronounce the benediction, when I stand in the line of of Aaron, when I stand in the line of the apostles, now that's one of the things that when I was coming up, we used to talk about. When you were ordained, are the men who are ordaining you, are they, can they trace it back to the apostles? And that's one of the things that a lot of Presbyterians are able to do because we keep records, we know, we follow. But to be able to bless people on behalf of God. And so even though it may seem very quick and short, it is meant to have an impact on your identity, on your week, on your sense that God is with you, that he is blessing you. It's not just Fred. It's God using Fred to bless you, as it's been demonstrated in this passage. Let us pray. Father, we're so thankful that we are not left alone. That you have given us both our identity and our redemption, that you have given us your presence in our day-to-day lives, that moment by moment we know we can walk with you, And so, Father, we ask that as we hear the words of benedictions, those blessings, that they would be something that you would take and put in our hearts for that week. We pray this, Jesus, in your most holy name. Amen.